I want to take you once again to the Gospel of Luke this morning, chapter 5, verse 33 to 39. And the theme I've chosen is radical Christianity. Radical Christianity, Luke 5, verse 33 to 39. And I want to invite you this afternoon's um, service. I'm going to preach on the role of the wife in marriage. So I want to invite once again single people, married people, divorced people, widows, widowers. I want to invite you to come. I think it's almost like having a meal at dinner table and maybe you don't like stir fry or lasagna, but still come please because we part of a family and the family is together as we gather around the word of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, you have sustained us through the night. You have kept us, protected us. And we thank you for the life you give us and the grace you shed upon us and the love you've poured out into, your, into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom you have given us. And we pray for extra grace and strength that you would give us knowledge into your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding that we would be able to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to you, that we would bear fruit in every good work and that we would increase in the knowledge of God. In Jesus' name, Amen. So radical Christianity, what do, what do I mean by that? We all know in the, the past couple of years on the news we saw churches spraying doom in people's faces uh, or Churches that told pet, uh, people they should drink petrol or eat grass, or churches that handle poisonous snakes, venomous snakes, or people falling over and rolling on the ground and convulsing. And that is definitely not what I mean when I use the word radical Christianity, because the things I just described, spraying insecticide in your face, for goodness, goodness sake. Or drinking petrol, that is not Christianity at all. So what do I mean by radical Christianity? Well, let us read our passage and then I'll unfold it and explain what I mean by radical Christianity. And they said to him, that is a group of people saying to Jesus, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from, an, from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does... He will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into 
old wine skins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it'll be spilled. And the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wine skins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says, the old is good. So radical Christianity, what is it? And what does it do? Number one, it ignores ritual, rituals and tradition. That's in verse 33 to 35. That's exactly what John Wycliffe did in the 1300s in England. John Wycliffe opposed the rituals and the traditions in the Roman Catholic Church and other false teachings in the Roman Catholic Church because he realized that is man-made religion. It has nothing to do with the true gospel. It's not built upon the true gospel. And so John Wycliffe really followed the example of his master because when Jesus was on earth, he did the same thing. And so he set the example, and that's what John Wycliffe followed. So according to Jesus, he said the Jewish religion the same. The Jewish religion was false, and it had nothing to do with the new life that Jesus came to bring. John the Baptist's disciples, the disciples of the Pharisees, and they came to Jesus and they asked him about this. That's what verse 33 says. And they said to him, they referring to the Pharisees from the previous passage, and also according to Matthew 9 and Mark 2, the Pharisees, uh, John the Baptist's disciples, the Pharisees' disciples, some other people, another group of people, they came and they asked Jesus. Uh, and what they asked him is, why do we, we fast, uh, we don't eat and drink, we keep these rituals where we uh, cut out certain kinds of foods or for a period of time we don't eat at all, we spend the time praying. So why don't your disciples do the same? Verse 33. Now the problem wasn't that the, the disciples of John the Baptist or the Pharisees and their disciples fasted and prayed, because Leviticus 29, or 16 verse 29 and 31 did have a prescribed time of fasting. The problem with the Pharisees and John the Baptist's disciples, they thought they were more spiritual because they had these set times of fasting and the set times of praying. They even did it twice a week, according to Luke 18 verse 12. And they, they said, well, we're doing this, look how spiritual we are. And God never prescribed in the Old or New Testament, you have to fast twice a week and so on. You see, there's no, there's no place for rituals of this kind in biblical Christianity. We are not Muslims. We aren't Muslims. We pray five times a day and a whole month in a year we set aside for fasting and we think if we do these things, this can get us to heaven. We're not like the Roman Catholic Church or even many Protestant churches who think they must. It is a must. You have to fast for 40 days during Lent. Now, Lent is just a period of time where they say they do extra penance, extra confession of sin, uh, extra uh, good works, extra money giving, to the, giving money to the poor, extra time in prayer. And it's not a problem if you want to fast, you can fast. But the problem is, you must do this. You think that you're busy sinning if you don't follow these certain rituals and certain traditions, and you want to force it upon others. And you think by doing so, by doing these fasts and keeping these rituals and traditions, you are really contributing to your own salvation. That becomes the problem. 
And then it's no longer biblical Christianity. It's no longer Christianity, true Christianity. True Christianity, which is a personal and living and dynamic relationship with Jesus. No, what has replaced this? You've replaced true Christianity with rituals and traditions. Now may I ask you, how do you see Christianity? And if you want to know, do you see Christianity as a religion? Or do you see Christianity as a living relationship with Christ? In order to know how you view it, you can ask yourself the following questions. Do you see yourself as a Christian just because you grew up in a Christian home or you grew up in the church? Or because you've been baptized or maybe you were accepted as a member or some, sometime, someplace, somewhere you responded to an altar call, an invitation, you came to the front of the church and you prayed some prayer. Or maybe you in a charismatic church and you're speaking in gibberish, you're speaking in tongues and you think, I'm a Christian because I did that. Or do you see yourself as a Christian because moment by moment you live in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And because Jesus is your life and you have a desire to be with Christ, and you've received new life by faith in Christ, faith in His death on the cross and His life, His resurrection. What about prayer? How do you view prayer? Do you view prayer as something you do, merely do just before you eat, or before you go to sleep at night, or before you go on a long journey, or as you arrive at church, or at the Lord's Supper, or maybe when you have some crisis in your life? you pray these uh, little rhymes? And is prayer something that you keep for special occasions? Or do you view prayer as, once again, a relationship? You are talking to your Father in heaven. You are living in daily communion and fellowship with God. What about the Bible? How do you view that? Is the Bible for you, is the Bible a closed book? You only open it on Sundays when you, when you come to church. When last did you read your Bible? Do you, do you see the Bible as this interesting book that you can get more academic knowledge? Uh, or maybe you treat the Bible like a crystal ball. You can find secret codes are locked up. When you have a problem, you need to find the secret codes. Or, on the other hand, once again, is it all about a relationship with God? Do you see Scripture, do you view Scripture as a love letter written to you by God, where God speaks to you. You can get to know God. You get to know the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you seek God's will. Why? Because you love God. You want to obey Him. What about the Lord's Supper? Communion. The bread and the wine. How do you see that? Do you see it as a, as a, a feast? Where you thank Jesus for dying on the cross for your sins? Is it something you look forward to because you can have special fellowship with Jesus? Is this a place where you think about your life again? You take stock of your life and, and you confess and you remember there are things that you've done wrong and you can confess those sins and be forgiven, the things that have grieved the Lord. Or, on the other hand, do you see the Lord's Supper as a tradition, a ritual? Maybe once in two or three months you come and it's, a, it's a, an opportunity where you are very grave and sober and 
you bow your head quietly and you close your eyes and you don't quite know why, you just see everyone else around you doing it. And you see the Lord's Supper as a place where you need to ask for forgiveness so that, so that you can be clean for the next few months before you come to the Lord's table again. How do you look at the worship services on Sundays? Is it something you look forward to? You want to be with other believers? You want to hear of your Lord through the preaching of the Word? You want to pray with others? You want to praise God from a thankful heart because God has saved you? Or do you see Sunday services as, you know, I've just done this for many years. This is the way I grew up. We go to church on Sundays. Maybe because of Afrikaner tradition or your culture, if you're not Afrikaans speaking, English speaking, or some of the African tribes. It's just tradition. That's what we did. Uh, or maybe my father did this, you know. My grandfather, we were in church every Sunday. Now, it's not wrong for you to, to have traditions. I want to say that. It's not wrong for a church to have certain traditions as long as they're not against Scripture. And it's not wrong for a church to have a certain order in the worship service. Uh, first we sing, then there's an announcement, then we pray, then, then we preach, then we have the Lord's Supper, whatever the order is, as long as it doesn't contradict Scripture. But if tradition becomes this unwritten rule, and you start feeling uncomfortable because, look, this church doesn't do it like our church does. And it's not against Scripture, it's just a different order. But you start becoming uncomfortable and judging other Christians, that becomes a problem. Like, let me give you an example. A woman attended our church services for some months, and she was really quite upset because we don't read the Ten Commandments every Sunday like her church does. Or maybe, maybe you're upset because we don't read the Apostles' Creed every Sunday. Some churches do that. They get up and they say the Apostles' Creed. They recite the Apostles' Creed every Sunday. Or even worse, you hold, you hold to things that aren't even in the Bible at all. It's got nothing to do with the Bible. And then you think that the churches that don't do those things... They must be a sect. There must be some kind of cult. And you know, many people thought that of the Baptist church in the past. Actually, most Afrikaners, or at least a very great number of Afrikaners thought, thought so. That they thought if you're not part of the Dutch Reformed Church or the Reformed Church or the near the dates have formed the Kerk, if you're not part, they call it the Three Sisters Churches or the Sisters Churches. If you're not part of the Sisters Churches, if you don't vote for the National Party, then you're not even a Christian. That's what they thought. And it, what is sad about this is many of the people who thought that way, they themselves weren't Christians. How do I know that? I know it because the moment that Christianity was no longer part of Afrikaans tradition, those people left the church. And the reason they left the church is because Christianity to them is a religion. And in the first place, it was never about Christ. It was about tradition. Now, my dear friend, I'm, I'm not trying to fight with you. That's not my goal. I don't want to fight with you. But I ask you these things because I'm concerned for your soul. Are you born again? 
Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you bowed the knee before Christ? Are you living in obedience to Christ? Do you love the word of Christ? Do you love the people of God? Have you repented of your sin? Are you living in a relationship with Jesus Christ every day, day by day? And if not, I want to remind you of last week's sermon, last Sunday morning. Jesus did not come to call the righteous. He didn't come to call religious people or so-called good people. Jesus has come. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. Verse 32. So come to him. The arms of Jesus, they are wide open. They are open to receive you, to forgive your sins, to change you into a new person. Simply acknowledge. Up to this point, many of, of the people listening to the sermon, at least some of them, you've been religious up till this point. But you are unsaved and you need the Lord. So acknowledge you cannot get to heaven without Christ. Ask Him to save you. And then you follow Him in this new life. Now, I think most of the people here this morning, you are saved. But most of you have family members. They are religious, but they're not saved. Pray for them. And tell them how God has changed you. Maybe even you want to send the servant to them, and they're going to be angry at you for sending it. Because you're implying they're not saved. Well, let them be angry then. Hopefully someday they'll thank you. And say thank you that you show them the difference between religion and a relationship with Christ. And then they'll throw their rituals and traditions to the dogs. And they'll come and sit at the feast with all the disciples of Jesus. Verse 33 your disciples eat and drink, Jesus. Verse 29 and 30, Levi made a great feast and many tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was there and they all had this feast. Or Luke 7 verse 34, Jesus eats and drinks with sinners. He's the friend of sinners. And so these family members, if God saves them, these religious family members, and they'll no longer think of Christianity as this boring religion. They won't sit in the church sleeping. They won't neglect their Bible any longer or prayer any longer. No, but they'll see it as a feast where they, come and, they can come, they can sit, they can eat and drink and rejoice at the feast. And they, they, they won't be able to hold it in. They'll want to tell others and they'll start praying for the, for the conversion of others too. Oh, may the Lord do this in our hearts. May He change our hearts. May all of us, all of us, whether you're a Christian or not, may He give you a new appetite for Him, a longing for Him, so that you can't get enough of Christ. So let us go forward. Let us seek more of, of Christ. And once we've found Him, we can't be like the Pharisees. You know, they fasted, but they had these long faces like donkeys. Because uh, to the Pharisees and, and the rest of the Jews, fasting, it was this, it was this somber and, and really sad ritual where you tear your clothes and you throw ash on your head. And read Matthew 6, verse 16 to 18. Matthew 9, verse 15. They mourn and they weep and... And Jesus said we shouldn't fast like that. 
tearing your clothes and throwing stuff on your head and showing everyone, look how sad I am. No, Jesus has come. And so fasting is no longer a ritual like it was for the Pharisees. No, fasting is a time where we, we separate ourselves. It's like we want to spend extra time with the Lord. We want to be close to Him. So in the New Testament, fasting is for your soul what a wedding feast is for your body. A wedding feast for the body is a time of feasting and rejoicing and, and being glad and visiting with others and intimate fellowship, communion. Not communion meaning bread and wine, but communing with others, talking to others, being with others. So that is why when Jesus was on earth, his disciples couldn't fast. Because the bridegroom is here. This is a feast. Verse 34. Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Jesus is the bridegroom. He was with them. But he says in verse 35, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. That refers to his cross. He was snatched away. He was crucified. And then it says, in those days they will fast. They were sad. And then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to them. And Jesus broke the fast. Because he gave them bread to, he actually ate bread and fish, fish before them in Luke chapter 24. And so the sad disciples, oh, their sadness changed back into joy. Jesus even said, you're going to be sad for a while. Like a woman who's giving birth to a child, the pains come and there's, there's very much agony and pain and, and tears. And suddenly it changes to joy when the baby is born. She forgets all about the sadness. And so the disciples, you would forget about the sadness. They cried and they wept. Mary Magdalene even sat at the tomb crying, Jesus is dead. And how quickly her sadness changed into joy. And so yes, verse 35, they will fast in those days. The days between Jesus' death and resurrection. But then it would change back into joy. And then we know Jesus went back to heaven 40 days later. So what about that? Oh yes, they did fast again. Acts 14 verse 23, when there were specific needs, like they appointed elders in the church, and they fasted. But it wasn't a fasting where you tear your clothes and throw ash on your head. Now this was a different kind of fasting now. It was a fasting like in Acts 13 verse 2. They're worshipping the Lord. They're praising the Lord while they fast. Uh, they're serving in the church. A uh, fasting in chapter 13 of Acts verse 3, just before they send out missionaries. We want to spread the love of Christ through the gospel. Oh, a joyful fasting. And that's the way we should fast. It's, it's not a punishment to give up coffee for a, two days or three days or punishment. We need to give up food. Oh, look at us. Poor, poor creatures. We have to fast. No. You give up food with gladness. Why? Because you can have extra time with the Lord. You're seeking a deeper fellowship with Christ. How can you be sad? <laughs> number two. That was number one. Um, radical Christianity, we said, ignores rituals and tradition. Number two, it is completely new. Verse 36 to 39. Now, someone who restores, and you get people, they restore these old cars. Let's say like a, a Beetle, a Volkswagen Beetle. When they restore these old cars, they don't just take an old car and patch it up. They buy original parts. 
They put a brand new engine in this thing, original parts. They don't, don't just tinker and weld the old parts. Brand new parts. So although from the outside you may think, oh, this is still the same old car. It's not. It's a completely new car. And so Jesus, in these two parables, these two illustrations, he says more or less the same. Verse 36, no one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he'll tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. Now, to explain the, the parables, these little stories, why, why will anyone have new clothes? He goes and buys brand new clothes and then he tears a piece from the new clothes, trying to fix his old clothes. The old clothes has a hole in it. And he tears from the new to fix the old. Why would someone do that? Because now you're destroying, you, you're destroying both. You're destroying the new clothes you just bought and the old. Because you've got this, this bright material you've now patched and sewed to the old clothes. That doesn't look very nice. So you've got this, this washed out and worn out material with this new bright patch of material on it. And when you put it in the washing machine, the new material shrinks and then it tears away from the piece you've just patched. So it shrinks and then makes a worse hole. If you read Matthew and Mark's account, that's how we understand this parable. So why not just wear your new clothes? You bought it, didn't you? So just wear the new and leave the old. Or to change the parable, Jesus says, what about new wine and old wineskins? So these old wineskins, they're made of goat skin. They're made of leather. So you pour your new wine into an old wineskin. But the old wineskin, years and years and years of filling it with wine, and then the wine ferments and it expands. And so this leather stretches and stretches and stretches. And then when it's very old, this wineskin, one day you put new wine in it again, and it expands again. It ferments again. And eventually this wineskin can't stretch anymore, and so it bursts. And so by pouring new wine into old wineskins, you're destroying both the skins and the wine. And so what do you want to do? Jesus says, in verse 38, new wine you put into fresh wineskins. So the new wine can ferment, it can expand, the wineskin can stretch, and you leave it to mature, and you've got good wine. <coughs> and so now you've kept both your wine and your wineskins. What is Jesus trying to, to teach us through these two parables? Jesus is trying to tell us, I haven't come merely to make old religion better. And in the end, you can say, you know, I got, I got myself to heaven through religion and Jesus helped me a bit. And that's the problem. That was the problem with the, the heresy of the uh, Galatian false teachers. In the book of Galatians, you get these false teachers. They come into the church. And they tell people, you can be saved by keeping the Old Testament feasts and being circumcised and keeping the Sabbath on the seventh day and, 
uh, eating certain foods and not other foods. Uh, yes, you must believe in Jesus, but you must also do these other things. That's the problem with the Roman Catholic Church or the Hebrew Roots Movement or every single cult there is. Or so-called nominal Christians. Nominal Christians just refers to people who say they're Christians, but they're not. That's the problem with these things, with religion. Because these people, they see Jesus as one who helps you to get to heaven by your own efforts and by your own religion. They don't see Jesus as someone who saves you from beginning to end. But if, if Jesus is not everything to you, then he doesn't want to be in your life at all. Because Jesus didn't come. So you can try and impress him with your, your ties, giving money to the church or coming to church every Sunday or doing religious stuff. You can't impress him by doing those things. Jesus doesn't want what you can give him. Jesus wants you. Romans 12 verse 2. Jesus wants to turn you into a new wineskin. So that he can pour the new wine of his life into your heart. Jesus wants to clothe you with the new clothes of his righteousness. Jesus wants you to enjoy him. Instead of being bored and feeling this burden of rituals and organized religion. So if you find it a burden. Instead of a gladness to serve Jesus. Then you are busy with religion. You are not busy with Christianity. And so the chances are good. If that's the case, the chances are good you're not saved at all. And then ask the Lord to change you. Ask Him to make you new. Now, unfortunately, there are people, they won't do that. They won't ask the Lord to make them new. And they won't ask Jesus to change them. Because they're so used to the wine they've always had. I've always drunk this wine. Why do you want to give me new wine, Jesus? I don't want the new wine that Jesus brings. And they say no to it immediately. Verse 39, no one after drinking good old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. You see, these people, they're so caught up in their traditions. They, they're so caught up in their religion that they don't even give the gospel a chance. They just think that the gospel can never be better than, than the wine I've always had. The wine of religion. And these are the kinds of people that don't give you a chance. You want to share the gospel with them. They don't even give you a chance to open your mouth. Immediately they say, I have my church. And be careful that you don't become like that. And that happens especially as we become older. Because <clears throat> for years and years, you've done things... <clears throat> excuse me. For years and years, you've done things in a certain way. And you think something is good simply because it's old. And you don't believe what you believe because it's in the Bible. But you believe it because, well, we've always done it this way. And this is the way I grew up. But the question is not, what did your dad do? Or what did your grandfather do? The question is, what does God say in his word? What does the Bible say? So don't reject the gospel if you've never thought through the gospel and studied the gospel for yourself. Don't reject certain biblical truths simply because, well, we've always believed it that way. And my father did and my grandfather. But you've never studied scripture for yourself to see, is this so? Is this what the thing I believe? Is it in the Bible or not? 
And once you've studied, and you've studied Scripture for yourself, and you've studied the truth for yourself, and then you realize, but this is not in the Bible. I've believed this thing wrong. I was wrong all these years. Well, then what you need to do is you need to swallow your pride and acknowledge the truth and bow your knee before the Lord, and you need to change. And I know it's not easy. It's not easy to change if this is the wine you've been drinking your whole life. And you've, and you've been used to this wine for many years. But I do want to tell you, and I can't say it differently than I'm going to say it. You are stupid. If you choose the old wine of religion, if you prefer that to the new wine that Jesus brings, do you really want to, to miss the new wine of heaven? Do you want to give up the new wine of the kingdom of God? Simply because you are clinging and holding to the old wine of your religion that's going to make you drunk, and in the end you'll have to drink it in hell forever. Be radical. Be a radical disciple of Jesus. I once heard of a, a Catholic, a Roman Catholic, <clears throat> a family member of his got saved. And then his reaction was, oh, that family member of mine, he's gone mad. <laughs> well, if, that, if that's what it means to be mad, well, then I'm mad. And my prayer is that in, in that sense of the word, you too will be mad. Radical. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for the new wine of salvation and for the new clothes of your righteousness that you have given to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, oh, would you use this, use this sermon to convict and convince those who are not saved yet, to convict and convince those they're religious but they're not born again, that you would save them from their self-made and man-made religion, and give them eternal life in Christ. And for those who are saved and their family members not, hear their prayers and save those family members, I pray. And give us more of you, Lord, a deeper experience with you, a deeper taste of the new wine. In Jesus' name.